We'll continue our study, meditation on Genesis and the third chapter this morning. I invite you to turn there again. Visiting with us, we are inching our way through the book of Genesis. That may actually be overstating it. Uh, some smaller measure than inches, what some in the congregation might uh, uh, propose for measure, but there has been so much. The whole Bible that has been anticipated in these opening chapters. So we come to the words of God in the aftermath of the sin of man. I want to read from verse 15, and then the first half of verse 16. So in verse 15, God is speaking to the serpent, or the Satan behind the serpent. And he moves from verse 15 to speaking to the woman, to Eve. So I'll read from verse 15 through the first part of verse 16. This is the word of God. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Amen. Let's seek God's blessing on his word preached. Father, you have provided all that we have need of, not just in what fills our tables day by day. You have provided what we have need of as we've gathered to feed upon your word. Be faithful again, despite all our unfaithfulness, preacher and hearer alike. Be faithful to us, we pray. Make the word preached yet again a great source of nourishing grace in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of Resurrection Presbyterian Church knows full well that each Lord's Day we leave this place under the benediction of God. In case you're unaware, benediction is the fancy word for God's promise of blessing. And he invites, indeed he summons his ministers uh, to place that benediction, that promise of blessing on his people as they go out from God's Presence, I'm inviting you this morning to imagine what it would be like to leave the presence of God under his curse instead. To hear, instead of a promise of blessing, a promise of judgment. And to go out from the presence of God under his curse. Well, today we're beginning to 
consider that very experience of our first parents. That's how they left God after this interview, if you will. They'd rebelled against him and all of his holiness and justice. And they, as a consequence, fall under his curse. And that's what he's pronouncing in these verses that begin in verse 16. Now, it is very true, I hasten to add, that Adam and Eve are not cursed by God the same way Satan was. We saw last time that those very bad words, those, that, those words of very bad news given to the serpent and the Satan behind the serpent contained in them very good news for Adam and Eve. There was the first glimmer of the gospel. We saw that last time. It was in God's stated resolve to fight for his people against their great enemy. So, now has to say to Adam and Eve, we'll not undo that. But there's bad news for Adam and Eve as well. Despite the redemption that has been promised in his words to the serpent. Uh, they too are going to fall under God's judgment. Not for eternity, but certainly in time. And as a matter of fact, the redemption from verse 15 that has been promised for the first time is going to be redemption of deliverance from life under God's curse. That's an expression I'm going to use several times this morning, under the curse. It's not just Adam and Eve we're going to see as living under the curse from this point forward. Brothers and sisters, it's all their children. It's all of us who live under this curse as well. Genesis 3.16 and following, and that is what makes the promise of the gospel in Genesis 3.15 so very precious. We'll make a start this morning at looking at God's judgment pronounced upon our mother Eve. We're going to see three things in these fateful words, the first half of verse 16. Here's the first. Here's how I'll put the first. We'll see the glory of women under so in a moment, brothers and sisters, we're going to see how these opening words are about something much bigger than just the travails of childbirth, as we call it. Uh, we're going to see in just a moment how God's words to Eve have implications far beyond Eve, far beyond even her daughters, far beyond women. We'll see all that in just a moment. But for the moment, I want us to give full weight to the literal the most obvious meaning of what God says to Eve and how this is fulfilled throughout human history for women, for mothers. So as a just consequence of what she's done, Eve has agony in store for her as the mother of mankind. What would have been only a pleasure and a joy is going to become a source of great pain. The curse of God for sin falls on Eve and on her daughters in what he calls pain in childbearing. Verse 16, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. 
in pain you shall bring forth children. You can't escape the emphasis. It's in that old age, old way of emphasizing something by repetition. Pain is this new experience that God says is now in store for Eve. Some translations render the first appearance of the word pain, sorrow, and it's the sorrow that comes from something that's physically excruciating, and I want you to think about it for a moment. Eve, in eating the forbidden fruit, was on a quest to gain some kind of new experience. She was told, you'll have a certain kind of knowledge. And God is saying to Eve at this moment, indeed you will. You'll have a new experience, one of pain. God actually emphasizes that this pain is something he is going to inflict on Eve. He says, I will surely multiply your pain. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. That's how one of your translations puts it. The Hebrew is literally multiplying, I will multiply your pain. And God wants Eve to know that this is something that's not natural. This is not inevitable. This is not just something about the way he's made the world in the beginning. No, this is something he's bringing down upon Eve and all her daughters in their childbirth moments. Apart from the fall, we're left to conclude Eve would have brought forth children apart from anything but pleasure, delight. But now as a result of God's judgment, bringing forth children and great pain will go together. God ensures that this is so. As I'm talking about these things, I'm aware that in this room, there are three sorts of people listening to me. There are those of you who have experienced this, the mothers in our midst. You're the authorities in this realm from an experiential standpoint. Then there are those who've witnessed it. You're the father or an intimate friend, and you've been there in the presence of this pain. And then there's the rest of us, and actually the rest of us, though it's a bit more abstract, have come to understand, haven't we, that our whole culture and the many cultures that have come before us have identified this experience as one of the great benchmarks of human agony. Isn't that the case? We, we have this in our common way of speaking. If a doctor uh, is speaking to a man about some procedure or some physical ailment, he said, it's going to be like your version of childbirth. That man knows he's in for it. He knows that that doctor has just reached for the ultimate, iconic measure of pain. It only underscores all the further that the pain of childbirth is the benchmark. It, it stands, as it were, as a representation of all physical pain. I was in a hospital room this week and saw in the on the wall, a helpful little diagram, pain measure scale, one to 10, and little ways of describing where you might find yourself on the scale. And of course, number 10 says, uh, nothing else matters. You're at the height of pain. Number 10, with greatest severity, 
you've lost the ability to care about anything else. It's all consuming. Your whole world is pain. Well, God, in his word of judgment, is saying this new experience, Eve, get ahead for you. When you give birth, Now, why? Why does God's judgment upon Eve land here? We'll be asking the same question in a couple of weeks about where it lands with Adam. Why does its judgment upon Eve land precisely here? We recognize that he's doing something that he said he would do. He's joining sin and misery Eve had believed the lie that disobedience would bring new pleasures, new joy, new privileges. But God is following through in his promise. No, sin will bring you misery. But why this particular kind of misery? That's our question. And I ask the question because you can think, I'm sure, of countless other effects of sin that would involve misery and would involve misery specifically for Eve Pain in childbirth is far from the only trial of being a mother, being a woman in general, and Eve's daughters would suffer for her sin even if they never became mothers. You might wonder, is this word a little bit reductionistic, as if being a woman is just about making a baby? It's true enough, God's judgment, as it's represented in these words, is, we'll see more in a moment, much bigger than just this one experience. But don't miss, my friends, what God is doing when he takes aim in his judgment at Eve's childbearing. Listen, as I reconstruct, I trust in a faithful way what God is doing when he says these things to Eve. Eve, you thought that you would become like God, didn't you? Knowing good and evil. Eve, you wanted to partake of my glory. Eve, you were not satisfied with the way that I had already shared with you my glory that God-like capacity to create within yourself life. So now, Eve, I will forever make your glory a source of agony. You will be the mother of all the living, Eve, only through great pain. The Bible, brothers and sisters, and nature itself teaches, for that matter, the glory of women is their ability to bring forth life. No amount of gender confusion can erase that reality. That's the unique glory of women. And God is saying to Eve, your glory, Eve, will now be under the shadow of a curse. You could say it another way, 
God is carrying out a kind of poetic judgment. Eve was attempting to be like God in a way in which there was glory unique to him, and God's response is to strike his blow of judgment on Eve. Precisely that realm that was her glory. Before we go any further, brothers and sisters, I think one of the things we need to do throughout this portion of Genesis 3 where God is bringing his judgment upon our first parents, we need to, we need to just tremble before a God whose justice poetic, if you will. Consider with me how this curse has played out in human history. Recognize how much God was saying when he said this to our first mother. Genesis itself in the pages just to come, are going to amplify the effects of this curse in the story that it tells before there's the pain of childbirth. Genesis will make very clear there's the pain of barrenness, or as we would call it today, infertility. We're going to see the sorrow that comes to Sarah and to Rebecca and to Rachel that they cannot have children. So God intervenes. Pain of childbirth is going to go beyond just pain. We're going to eventually come to Rachel, for whom childbirth brings death. She will have many daughters. History of the world like this as well. You know that before the advent of modern medicine, so much pain. A world of pain in this realm of giving birth to new life. In so many cases, you know, even to this day, throughout the world, mothers buried with their children. You know that for much of human history, the prospect of a woman becoming pregnant Thinking ahead to the delivery of her child would have brought both joy, rightly so, fear. What does all this reveal about God? Brothers and sisters, I think we begin by saying he is not a God who will give his glory to another. Isaiah 42 Sin has created something new. It's created a conflict between a rivalry, we could say, between the glory of God and the glory of his image bearers. It was never intended to be that way. God's glory and man's glory were intended to be of mutual blessing. Now there's something in conflict between the two. And in that conflict, God is resolved to protect his glory. So as we'll see with Adam as well, God takes aim at what could be that greatest point of glory or pride of Eve and her daughters. And he makes that 
point of pain. The glory of women under the curse. Here's the second thing we'll see in these words in Genesis 3.16. We'll see the fruitfulness mandate under the curse. So do this thought experiment with me. I'm trying to make the point that there is something bigger and broader than just physical pain in childbirth that is represented by Genesis 3.16. So do this thought experiment with me. If modern medicine could utterly neutralize not only the risks of childbirth, but the pain of childbirth, would that some t somehow utterly neutralize Genesis 3.16? I've actually been surprised a time or two Hear the testimony of a mother that, with the benefit of modern medicine, wonder drugs, went through this process of bearing a child with almost no pain. We can be very glad for that. But I hope putting the question to you that way makes it intuitive to you. There is something broader here than just the physical pangs of childbirth that, the, uh, that, that God is speaking of as he addresses Eve. As a matter of fact, even if medicine could completely remove all discomfort in childbirth, it would scarcely touch this curse, and I want to show you how and why that's so. In order to do that, I want you to consider with me that as God speaks these words to Eve, he has something bigger in mind that he's already spoken to Adam and Eve. That is, he's called them to be like him in being fruitful and multiplying in the earth. That's a mission that he's already given to Adam and to Eve. It's in Genesis 1.28. We looked at this quite closely some time ago. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's mission number one. Call it the mission of fruitfulness. And the mission number two is subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Quick review in order to make the point this morning. Remember both of these missions, the mission to rule the earth, the mission to fill the earth, were given to Adam and Eve together. And as God gives those two missions to Adam and Eve together as things they will do together, he does equip Adam in a special way for the mission of ruling, subduing the earth, taking dominion. For starters, he will give Adam more muscle, thicker skin, literally. To Eve, he gives that blessing of a special participation in the mission to be fruitful. He gives to Eve, for starters, a womb. In light of all that, when God says to Eve, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. He's speaking about a whole mission that he's given to Eve with Adam that is now as well going to be carried out under the curse. Folks, I'm trying to say this is bigger than having a baby. Those moments are hours of delivery. It's even bigger than Eve and her daughters, women and mothers. It's as big as this whole mission 
that God has given to all of his people to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with those that bear the image of God, this is something that fathers and mothers, both, for example, will partake of this pain, this sorrow. Indeed, I submit to you, there are long-term parental pains and sorrows that ultimately eclipse the pain of childbirth. There are the trials of providing for and protecting children. In a fallen world, there is the challenges of dealing with their sin as those who are themselves sinful. There's the struggle of seeking the heart of children, knowing that there is a Satan who's also seeking their heart. There's the heartbreak, unparalleled pain that comes from seeing in our children Satan's success. There are profound obstacles to parents who are seeking to be fruitful and multiply in the full sense of that mission. And there's potentially profound frustrations as they seek that. And this text gives a hint. In the second rendering of the word pain, the Hebrew word is slightly different. And more than one have pointed out, the first word seems to capture the physicality of pain. The second reference to pain seems to capture, capture the psychological, the emotional dimensions of it, the frustration, the vexation. You can see this in the reality that stands for the whole. A woman in long and painful labor is striving to achieve something and, and facing obstacles to achieving that, and that's a good metaphor for what parenting is. Striving to achieve something in so many ways, facing obstacles and frustrations and sorrows. No one envies a woman in labor. No one envies a father or a mother at certain moments. Adam and Eve will walk through the agony of a son dead at the hands of his brother. Now that's parental agony. We'll see of Jacob's inconsolable grief as he sees the evidence of the death of his favorite son. We'll see him further suffer as a father through the despicable immorality of his sons, Reuben and Judah. This is all ahead. This is heartbreak, pain for parents. Brothers and sisters, this is too a fulfillment of Genesis 3, 16. This fruitfulness mandate that we are still called to pursue is going to be carried out, God says, now under the curse. And the greatest joys on the earth are by means of family. So are some of the greatest sorrows. And now let me make this word even bigger in its application. You'll recall with me, I have already spoken to this fruitfulness mandate as being even bigger 
and broader than parenting. I spoke of it one time, some time ago, as all our investment personally in other people by means of which we seek to nurture them in the likeness of Christ, all of our ministry to one another and to the world that is seeking to make disciples of all the nations. This is the greater fulfillment of this mission of fruitfulness. So this means that all of that ministry, all that people work ever since Genesis 3.16, the occasion not only of pleasure, but of pain. A moment ago, I suggested we, we should tremble under the justice of God. But now I want to say something to you about this word of judgment by way of reassurance. If you're finding mothering or parenting more broadly, or all your labors to be part of God's nurturing work of his people in this church and in the world to be painful and frustrating, don't think the problem is you. As if there's something you are uniquely doing wrong, folks. We're dealing with something bigger than any one of us. It's a problem much larger than itself. Surely we do contribute our own sins to the whole matter, but ministry of every kind under the curse entails the pain and the frustration of Genesis 3.16. And the apostle himself seems to appeal to this very reality as a pastor, as he says to the Galatians, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. What does a woman in the pangs of childbirth need? Well, from her hapless husband, who's there without a hot clue how to help, she certainly start with encouragement. Brothers and sisters, we are all, in our wide variety of ways, in the painful labor of seeking to see Christ formed in one another. And it's an inherently discouraging, painful thing. And that's why we need to be full of encouragement to each other. Don't think it's just you. If you faced setback and obstacles and deep sorrows in your effort to be physically or spiritually fathers and mothers to other people, it's not a wonder that there's pain in this. The wonder is that there's any joy and success at all in it. But that's now what I want to look at with you. We've looked at the glory of women and the curse. We've looked at the fruitfulness mandate under the curse. Now let's look lastly at the privilege of giving life despite the curse. So my friends, I've looked with you 
at the bad news of this word of judgment. Now I want to draw your attention to the good news that's embedded within it. And the context will help us in this way. We saw last week in verse 15, God's words of judgment began with Satan, the serpent. Why is Eve next? Maybe a simple effect, as that's the order in which they sinned. First, Satan, then Eve, then Adam. But I want to draw your attention to something else. It's also true that in speaking to Satan, God has just been speaking about Eve. And he's been speaking about her offspring. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. God, we saw this last week, is making a promise that the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, will be now the enemy of Satan. This great conflict that will arise will involve the woman's offspring crushing the serpent. That was in verse 15. Now he turns to Eve and he has a word of judgment to her in verse 16. But let's put them together. This is what I come up with when I put them together. Bringing forth children will be a source of pain to Eve and her daughters, but will also be the means that God uses one day to finally destroy the evil one himself. How do you think Adam and Eve would have put those two things together? In faith, how would they have laid hold of those two things, the offspring of Eve, verse 15, crushing the head of the serpent, that whole process of childbearing being one of such pain. I think we have some hints in the context for how they would have put those two things together. Look at Adam's words in verse 20. Look down your page at verse 20. We have there recorded, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Remember that Adam has been naming all the other living creatures that God has made. And we're no, only told here and then when uh, Adam names his wife. Eve sounds like, as your notes tell you, life giver in the Hebrew. Why only here is it recorded for us? And not earlier, say, when Adam had first met Eve. I hope you can acknowledge it at least has greater impact here. In the wake of Eve's sin, for Adam to name her life giver. Adam is realizing the privilege of giving life has not been taken from his wife. Her glory remains, though it will be carried out under the curse. And he's in awe at this. That's how I interpret verse 20. Look at Eve's words, if you will, at the beginning of chapter 4. We're told upon the occasion of her first experience of childbirth, her son Cain, she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. 
How about you? I, I hear in those words something of the trauma of the childbirth process she's got, just gone through, never before experienced, but I also hear in her an awareness that God has been good to her and has supported her. Eve is testifying the fact that for all this pain in childbirth, God has inflicted on her. God is also committed to coming alongside of her in that pain and enabling her to bear fruit in the midst of it so that children will remain a gift from the Lord. And there will be joy after the sorrow that God inflicts. Our Lord himself would put it, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. When she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. What Eve testifies to, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Isn't that not a bad way to describe that whole pattern we're going to see in God, in the unfolding of redemption, we're going to come eventually to the place where God will befriend a man named Abram and he will promise to that man a great offspring after him and he will place the parenting of those children at the center of his plan of redemption. And when those children become as numerous as the sand of the seashore, a great king will be raised up from among them who will be the ruler of the world. So despite all the pain and suffering that Eve and her daughters are destined to endure, through that and in that, God will gather a mighty army of his people and raise up a king to lead them. You'll not be surprised, and if you know this well, our fathers have drawn parallels between this high privilege that Eve is given and is preserved for her despite her sin and that of her most famous of all daughters. So Eve is given the privilege of being the mother of all flesh, all human kind. Mary is given the privilege of being the mother of that promised singular seed, offspring. What? A privilege given to all women, those two blessed women in particular. Motherhood, a means by which godly seed will be raised up. Motherhood, the means by which the Son of God would finally come to earth. Brothers and sisters, my point here is all of this privilege Despite the curse. So which is it? Will this capacity to conceive and nurture life be Eve's privilege or pain? Will this calling to raise up children for the Lord be Adam and Eve's joy or sorrow? Will the greater work still of making disciples of all nations be a point of exhilaration or 
frustration. Well, it's both, isn't it? So that's my final invitation this morning. For you to consider God's mercy in the midst of his judgment and his wisdom in putting to good use our labors in just those ways in which he himself most humbles us. Our God is a way of bringing glory out of shame, strength out of weakness, blessing despite curse. His glory is bigger than mothers and even women. We all have a part in the pain and frustration as well as the pleasure and indeed the glory filling the earth with the image of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are willing to be laid low. Indeed, we're willing, knowing our just deserts, to be stripped of our glory. That is what is necessary for you to be exalted in the earth. We are amazed that this is not fate, that you are, despite the curse justly given to us, glorifying yourself by the glory that you have given, even our daughters, all of us involved in the spiritual mothering, the Great Commission. We pray that you'd reconcile those glories and that you would advance your kingdom in the midst and despite the curse that you've pronounced upon men. Father, we pray that you'd give us fresh opportunity this new week just begun to glorify you in it. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.